Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Wave with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well, and I hope you're ready for this uh, slightly inflammatory topic that we're going to discuss on this podcast today. We are talking about the sex industry, and my guest is Sarah Jones, who is a fabulous actress and writer and director and documentary maker, just a fucking phenomenal talent and and also someone who's got the biggest heart and the best intentions maybe in the whole of Hollywood Uh, I really love her and I'm really glad she was able to come to me today to talk about her new documentary Sell by Date and that's B-U-Y now there are many reasons why this documentary that she's made has come up as incredibly controversial uh First and foremost, maybe, is the fact that she is not a member of the sex industry, as in not someone who does sex work, uh, and therefore is at her place to make a documentary and star in a documentary about that subject. Um, And second of all, this subject seems to be one of the most divisive ones in the whole of feminism, not just social justice, but feminism. And people land on very extreme sides of this conversation to the point where sometimes our emotions and protectiveness and defensiveness stop us from actually getting to the nuance of what should be an incredibly nuanced conversation which is that the sex industry is comprised of people who volunteer and choose to be in it and people who don't and we have to create space to let both people have their say and have their rights and their dignity intact uh the other reason this subject is so controversial is because a lot of people don't even want to talk about the sex industry. It's so weird. And Sarah really goes into how the sex industry kind of bleeds into every single almost part of our culture, music videos, like entertainment, uh, really almost any kind of media facet of our existence. And yet when it comes to the actual sex industry itself, the concentrated sex industry. We shun the conversation, we look away, we dehumanise the people who participate in it or even the people who consume it and it's treated with this sort of like shame and shadow treatment that is really fucking dangerous. It's not only dehumanising and cruel, it's dangerous because if we do not open the conversation up and if we are not uh, incredibly diligent in making sure that the sex industry is regulated and that people have human rights within it, if we aren't paying attention, then as with most industries, even clothing factories or iPhone factories, exploitation can happen. And it's especially dangerous when it is sexual exploitation that can also involve minors. So it is important that we destigmatize this conversation. And I think this documentary 
is a really great part of trying to destigmatize the conversation amongst people who are not involved in the sex industry and who don't know a lot about the sex industry. I also want to be clear that when this documentary was announced, it, there was a huge backlash, right? Especially from people within the sex industry. And I think, uh, but also actually on both sides, it managed to piss literally everyone off before it had even been made, before it had even come out. Because a lot of people didn't know exactly what the subject matter was going to, how it was going to be handled. And they didn't know who was going to be involved. And they didn't know if actual sex workers or people who work within the sex industry uh, would be involved. Uh, they are, I can tell you that. And the whole documentary is very much so led by experts within the industry. And Sarah is more of a kind of conduit to learn about it publicly in front of us and to advocate for all sides, but not really sides. She's just advocating for how much information can we have to make sure that everyone has choice, has agency, has dignity, respect, and all of their rights and freedoms which sadly is rarely the case in any industry, least of all this one. And so I really appreciate that in this chat and in her work, she is just trying to make sure that all sides get heard and she doesn't come down on any side of this argument. I sure as fucking shit don't. Um, But we just make sure the conversation is had so that everyone gets to do whatever they want from a place of choice and that they get paid properly and that they... Uh, get to live a long, happy life doing what they choose to do. I also want to stress that this is not the first time I've had a conversation about the sex industry. Uh, I've had this conversation with actual sex workers, specifically black trans sex workers in New York. And so I'm not, this is not my first time coming to the subject uh, with a non-sex worker. I just want to be clear about that in case that worries anyone. Uh, You can find those conversations on my YouTube, etc. and on my Instagram. But um, this is hopefully just the beginning of more and more nuanced conversations. I've also thought about this, I think, Gloria Steinem uh, two years ago on this very podcast, but this will be an ongoing conversation that I try to bring into this podcast because I realise that I am not doing enough as an outsider and as someone who stands in solidarity with people who work in the sex industry. I'm not doing enough to make sure that we raise and destigmatize this conversation. Uh, but just so you know, in this, we talk about the terminology sex industry and why some people don't like the term sex work. We talk about how the sex industry manifests the misogyny and racism in society as a whole. We talk about the important distinction between legalization and decriminalization, something that I didn't understand until like five or six years ago, and what a difference those terms make for the industry. Really important, the legalization versus decriminalization subject and who wants what. We discuss how the sex industry can be empowering and how it can also be dehumanising. And we talk about how important discussing the sex industry is, even if it's uncomfortable or intimidating. No subject should be so inflammatory that people can't just ask each other valid questions about it. And something we talk about in this episode that I really love is that people who had been fighting about these subjects for years online, who were on very opposing sides of this discussion, came to the premiere of this film and ended up understanding each other's point of view and making friends and having drinks with each other and having fun and chatting and coming together. 
And we need more work like this in the world, work that isn't afraid of not being binary on every single fucking issue. You can't do that when human beings are involved because we are complicated and it is a case-by-case basis that is massively, as with everything, dictated by wealth, by privilege, by hierarchy and our fucked society and most of all, motherfucking capitalism. So this was a big word salad. <laughs> Sorry, but it's it's so important to try to have this conversation as carefully and sensitively as possible. And if I failed, then let me know in my DMs. But uh, I have done my current best and I'm always looking to learn more and and send me the names of people that, that you like in this conversation, who you've learned from, uh, preferably people from within the sex industry itself. Uh, sending you loads of love. Really grateful to Sarah Jones for this conversation. Please enjoy this, what I think is a fabulous chat. motherfucking jones welcome to i way how are you hi I, I you know i was just saying i'm i'm so alive that's my blanket adjective because whether i feel like shit or you know fantastic or some combination of both which is typical i'm alive i feel so alive so i'll take it is that adrenaline because you're in promo mode <laughs> It is. It's adrenaline, but it's also like I finally have found the part of me who regulates. Do you know what I mean? It used to just be like a sort of a existential bungee jump, you know, kind of mode all mm-hmm. the time in promo. And now it's like there's someone going, hi. And it's not just your wonderful podcast producer. And there's someone <laughs> going, hi, we're actually human. This, There are no stakes here. This is not make or break. You're not walking a tightrope. You're not, your you know, worth and value are not hanging in the balance here. So let's see if we can't actually come back into our body and breathe. So that's help, helps me. It helps me. And I just want to say all my Britishisms are coming out with you. And one of my characters who was, when I did, there was a play called Sell by Date that the film, the film is inspired mm-hmm. by a play. In that play, I portray, this, this is my character. She's literally sort of a detached, um, I don't know what I would call her. She's a professor, right? In the, in the piece. And it sort of allowed me to not have to be there at all. I'm talking during rehearsal or whatever it was. And whilst I was on stage, I was this, not you, but she's a detached you know, sort of, oh no, don't mind me, sort of concave chest, you know, that very, like, oh, sorry, sorry. She sort it of sounds a bit like, like me, to be honest. No, <laughs> but I, it, well, the good, the good news is I didn't know you existed when she came into yeah, existence. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, you sound British, so, you know. Yeah, and the way that, that you seamlessly go in and out of all your characters, which we'll get into in a minute, um, is... <laughs> fucking flawless and I'd never seen your live Broadway show in which you play all these different characters which you have a license to play like all these different background characters because you have such an ethnic diversity in your blood like truly just the most complex and beautiful DNA possible can you tell me exactly all the places that you're from which is why you're able to play this many characters from this many different denominations and backgrounds so I was going to say I earned it through suffering and yep. I, I don't wish it on anyone else, right? Like I was tortured as a child. It was, 
you know, on my mom's side. So my mom, first of all, if people, when people see the film, I don't want to give things away, but anybody, if you want to, you know, a bit of a clue, she is so white that, you know, when I was walking around with her, people would be like, ma'am, why is that black street urchin clinging to you? You know, (laughs) I mean, America is so horrific. I'm not saying that, you know, Britain or anywhere in the UK or Europe or anywhere has solved the race problem, but we in America do it so very, very It's very deeply. on the nose here. Yeah. It's quite on the nose. And so mm. the, you know, my mother having white skin privilege from the time I was little, I didn't know that she was anything else. I just thought I had this white mom. She's actually a mix of Irish American, German American. <clears throat> we have both Christians and Jews on that side. Mm-hmm. My fun, my fun joke is that it's a long story filled with intrigue and interfaith guilt because everybody mm-hmm. gets to enjoy that. Um, but my dad saw, you know, we have, I have Caribbean relatives. So truly at Thanksgiving, it would be like somebody would bring gefilte fish and then a cousin would say, what is this? This is a nightmare. I am having, this is a crime against food. It has no flavor. It has no, it, I, I put a spice on it. Please make it, give, pick a pepper. Anybody, please help me. So there would be like all mm-hmm. these accents round the table arguing, um, you know, like a race riot, but with gravy. And so <laughs> I was indoctrinated early into something's wrong with us, but we're also sort of a, you know, like we're different. We don't look like anybody on television. Our accents are wrong. Our class backgrounds are wrong. We're immigrants or we're, you know, the wrong religion. I, certainly I had the wrong hair. I, I could be president Jamila, and if you wanted to, you know, join, we could be co-presidents. If I could get back all the time I've spent straightening this hair. I I could be, not that I'd want to be president, but I'm just saying, you know, rocket science, many, many careers lost to the dear God, please don't anyone know I'm African. And the internalized anti-blackness that I experienced from the time I was so little um, on my father's side, my family's African-American from the South in the United States. He grew up with like the hoses and dogs and all the attacks on, you know, literally signs above the department store that said no Negroes or whatever. And mm-hmm. so there's, a, I'm carrying a lot. And I, you know, I've heard you share about this. There's so many opportunities now to talk about trauma and epigenetic heredity. Like I've, I've, I come by all this shit very honestly. And so, yeah, if anyone tries to come for me, I'm sort of like, hi, I speak your language already, or I've grown up around it. I know your religion or I'm, you know, I married into it. I... I believe that intention is everything when it comes to who I portray and why my goal is always a lens of rejecting white supremacist, capitalist, cis heteropatriarchy, ableism, you know, keep going as long as you need to. You're, you're being able to be from so many different places all at once and just being all just one human being and all these people are different and the same and equal and everything. You kind of, you are the walking contradiction that I think people are so afraid of when it comes to people mixing an interracial. I mean, they just had to codify interracial marriage in the United States in 2022 <laughs> because that was, on the, that was on the chopping block. Like it's fucking bonkers. And it's because... People like you who are from this huge multitude of different places are proof that all of these politics don't make any fucking sense. All of this hierarchy, like it just, it's, it all gets washed away in someone like yourself. 
What I love about the way that you've chosen to perform is to bring all these different sides of your family and therefore all these different sides of yourself all together in one and you've put them on stage and you seamlessly move between uh, like young Gen Z, uh, blonde, I think white girl potentially and uh, like an old Jewish grandmother um, who I think is my favourite character, who I think is a lot of people's favourite characters uh, and uh, an incredible, like your, your Latina side comes out and this incredible, I think she's a lawyer. She's actually, um, I'm sorry. I just, I, I, it's so hard to, I, you know. so first of all, I'm a fan. I don't know what you do, like eat extra eggs. I just, I'm always interested in how people get that gloss on their hair. It might be, you know, for me, whatever. We can talk about that. I don't, I'm not trying to reduce you to um, glossy hair, but um, I'm a human rights advocate. And I mean, how could I not be? Because I'm half Dominican, half Puerto Rican, all proud as they say, but you know, you, some of us are born into our roles. I think that you are. I think that Sarah Jones is very much so. Like, it's sort of like we don't have the luxury to be something else. Like, if your life is being threatened, then you kind of have to become whatever is the professional equivalent of saving your own fucking life and the lives of the people around you that are, you know, in danger. So I'm not taking any credit, but I do work hard. Yeah. <laughs> Something I have to say about like the documentary is that I'd never seen the Broadway show. I'd never seen you bring these characters fully to life. I'd seen you do them over like my dinner table and always thought they were amazing, but I didn't realize like I, I, cause I hadn't been able to witness it when I watched your documentary, which was just the most unusual documentary I've ever seen in that you use so much kind of like orchestrated comedic uh, kind of skits between your different characters to be able to get across these incredible tricky, uh, incredibly tricky and like tense subjects. Um, Your performance is fucking extraordinary. You're a fucking ridiculous actor and you directed that, which is batshit because you have five different versions of yourself on the screen like the level of precision technically that you have to have as well as the how natural it seemed how naturally all these different characters all played by you interact like you're like a fucking supernova of talent like it's on it was I was blown away like it took me a minute to get into it like at first because I was like what is what is happening happening (laughs) and then within about six minutes like I'd forgotten it was you and then I got lost in it and I was honestly like just taken away by the the skill set that you have of not just like how funny you are, how accurate the mannerisms and characters are, but like the emotional depth of each one lives so like deeply in you. Um, and it was a very helpful tool, uh, a really fucking unusual tool, but a really helpful tool to get across this huge subject that I've asked you here today to talk about with me because... I thought I knew where I stood on the subject of the sex industry. And also I want to get into why it's better to refer to it as the sex industry than necessarily referring to the people within it as sex workers, although that's also someone's choice and that's how they wish to be, uh, if that's how they wish to be referred to, that is on them and never correct them. But um, you, in this documentary, explore whether the sex industry is empowering or exploitative and you come at this from all of the different possible directions of this argument which is something that we feel like we're not really allowed to do anymore and I understand that especially as outsiders of the sex industry uh, we have little to no right to comment I do think that we are becoming worryingly binary on literally every subject 
within kind of liberal humanitarian equality. And this is just another example of how like it's one way you are either on our side and you stick with the rhetoric or you are completely against us. And I think what you're trying to do in this documentary is find the middle ground, find the grey area in which you say like, I'm not against anyone. I'm just on the side of the truth and the nuance. And so I didn't get the sense from this that you necessarily fall on any particular side. What you've done here is create all of the arguments from the perspective often of all these different characters of yours as well as actual people from within the sex industry and you have allowed for us to explore our own opinion and it's a fucking clusterfuck for me in my head because I left it just being like oh my god I don't know but that in and of itself is so liberating because it meant that I've had to consider all of the colours of this rainbow so thank you for making this documentary and I would love to get into it. Why did you make this documentary? Well, first of all, why didn't I just write down every word you said so that I can pipe it directly <laughs> into my impact deck as we go around telling people why I made this movie? That was it. Everything you just said. And we I call it an unorthodox because it's a mm-hmm. documentary, but it is an extremely unorthodox approach. I know. And you mentioned, you know, like, Hi there, my name is Lorraine Levine. I out there in Iway land, uh, Jamila Jamil. Hi, sweetheart. Uh, and, you know, I am in the movie and we wanted to talk about all the different sides about the uh, women. And and Sarah taught me the, oh my God, I'm having Ajita now thinking about it. Binary, not binary, Gender expansion. That's what I'm supposed to say. Gender expansive people. (laughs) Anyway, poor Lorraine. Um, That took her days to learn gender expansive people, youth. But the idea is that I wanted anyone, if it's, you know, the holidays and you're sat around your living room with five generations of people, I think that it is. Hi, like, hi, my name's Bella. Um, hi, Jamila. I'm super stoked that you saw the, the movie because um, I'm a star of it, obviously, but like not in like a, yeah, not in like a hierarchical way. Um, I just feel that like as a, a, we're all stars. Okay, let me stop her before she. So the point is that I wanted to hear from a Zoomer. I wanted to hear from people who are like, sex work, what's that? You can't, ugh, you can't say that. And there are many different reasons for the things people believe about women, sex, and power, especially through the prism, not prison, but prism of, you know, the this industry that many people say it's the oldest profession. My experience is it's the oldest conversation we're not having in an honest, present way that could actually be of service to the maximum number of women and femmes and, you know, folks across the gender continuum who are in it for whatever reasons they're in it. I don't want people, I don't, this is not a prescription for what everyone is supposed to think at the end of the film. I want people to be surprised and entertained and learn things like the Barbie doll is based on a German prostitute around World Mm -hmm. War II. Like people who are like, this industry, this topic has nothing to do with me. Of course it does. You know, your daughter might be on OnlyFans right now, just kind of like for shits and giggles and you don't even know it. Or you know, you don't think that um, porn is relevant to your life, but you have you have to clear your browsing history before your IT person comes in because like everyone else, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't watched porn or considered it or whatever. And so destigmatizing all of us, not just people who are in the industry, but looking at the reality of slut shaming and how 
you know, for years, white men have told all the stories, pretty woman that did not come out of the mind of an actual, you know, woman who uh, has a story about Richard Gere. I'm so sorry. That's not the typical reality for, you know, people who are actually, who have lived experience. Mm. So my job was ask the questions, learn something. I had already done a ton of research and I still came out at the end kind of like, okay, I just want everyone to be able to think about this for themselves, but to stop pretending that it's not relevant. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we're honest, men, you know, hetero men now, the rates of uh, anxiety and depression in connection with overuse of porn. Like this is relevant to all of us. Women being criminalized and locked up while the men who are their clients just like walk away and go get a sandwich. Like that is mind boggling to me. And it goes back to what we were talking about. This is Victorian, you know, again, like misogynist. Women aren't allowed to be sexual, self-determining beings. All of that plus capitalism, you know, multiplied by a pandemic and people need to pay their bills and, you know, shouldn't be criminalized for whatever choices they're making. And there's a hierarchy of privilege that then also massively contributes to your experience within the sex industry. Exactly. And nobody wants Mm. to talk about that. It's like we can all admit, right, two and a half years ago, God, I can't even do math now, but like George Floyd, we all understood, oh, some lives are literally not worth anything, right, in comparison to other lives. And we have to acknowledge that. And yet somehow when it comes to the sex industry, we suddenly all, you know, get all cloudy and fuzzy and don't understand that the most marginalized people who get into the industry without wanting to be there, we have to talk about that uh, mm-hmm. anytime that we're going to, you know, and, and it is disappointing that feminists who agree on everything else, right? Abortion and, and, you know, our need for um, paid leave and childcare, we understand this. And yet when it comes to this one other issue, I hate to say this, but my experience is as usual, if we let, sorry, cis straight white men with money, but... <laughs> You, you do seem to be the root of m- many evils. Um, that's who's ma- who owns OnlyFans. It's not you. It's not me. It's not a brown woman. So I want to see a world in which we're honest about who's keeping the money. Why are women being criminalized? Who is at risk if they don't want to be in this industry and then end up and, you know, ending up there actually contributes to, you know, a marginalized existence. Trans women, for God's sake, there's so much transphobia Mm -hmm. that you find yourself in a situation where you need to earn and you also don't feel like you have the self-determination you need in a lot of cases. So I just really wanted to apply the same social justice issues that we all claim to care about to this topic that's a lot closer. I mean, this is my other favorite example is wholesome families, you know, taking their kids to Hooters after a football game. I want to be like, Yes, you're having buffalo wings, uh, but you're also having a side of sex industry with those wings. You you know, people don't make the connection, but it's a continuum of sex and commerce. And if we don't talk about it, honestly, everybody's disempowered more so than they should be, especially the most vulnerable and marginalized people in our society more broadly. A hundred percent. And, and it was, and I just also want to say that like, this is not my first time talking about the sex industry. I have done multiple interviews and they're also on YouTube and I will do more, but with black trans, uh, workers in the sex industry. And so this is not something that I'm only coming to an outsider of the sex industry for. It's just purely because you have this documentary called Sell by Date. It was such a great name, by the way. Um, Thank you. Uh, that we are discussing this and there are a plethora of really 
excellent uh, advocates within the sex industry space in your documentary. But I just want yes. to be clear so that no one thinks that it's just like two fucking outsiders, just like giving that like two cents about something that has not direct, like something that has not been part of our own path. Um, but right. Although after I, it having, is adjacent, right? 100%, it's adjacent to everyone. A hundred percent. Like uh, yeah. even in the way that we get objectified or we get sexualized or we get marketed in this industry or the jobs that we don't get because we don't wish to fulfill. I mean, the, I have had to turn down like most jobs that have come my way in the last three years because all of them, almost all of them require nudity. Wow. An amazing yeah. job I just had to turn down that was like six months in an amazing country uh, with incredible an incredible script and all these different things because constant nudity was required of me. And so I couldn't, wow. I didn't want to do it. Um, and that's wow. not because I'm a prude or because I'm too good. It's just like, it's not my personal journey uh, right. with my body. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there so that people know that we're coming at this from a place of information and and just to have the discussion and there will be more discussions with people within the industry. Yes, information. And if anything, like trying to pass the mic, right? Like I was in a situation where it was like, okay, if Meryl Streep produces my documentary, there are people who are going to watch it just on the strength of that. Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, there are cameos in there with, you know, Brian Cranston and Rosario Dawson and, you know, Ilana Glazer, these people who people recognize their names mm -hmm. enough that they'll sit down and watch something that they wouldn't otherwise. And then they get to meet people like Esperanza Fonseca and Lotus Lane and, you know, go watch the movie. I'm not going to give it away, but I will say I wanted to have a conversation. I just wanted, we're smart. We, everyone here, you know, listening is capable of receiving information and making more informed inquiries into our own. I mean, I forgot that I had like wanted to strip in college to, you know, pay some bills. And I had thought like, well, if I just do it this way, you know, I went to feminist women's college and I had a certain level of privilege, but I know, I know about friends of mine who, you know, made certain decisions and choices at that time, um, not realizing that it was, that they were going to be criminalized and it was going to affect their, you know, future employability. Now, my perspective is, I want to eventually work on legislation, if I can, with people who already know what they're doing in that space to make sure that no matter where people fall on this issue, women are not fucking put into jails, prisons, um, otherwise having their records, you know, permanently affected by what, again, never affects the vast majority of men um, in a way that harms them or their lives. So yeah, it's the seller, it's not the consumer and it's, it's rarely even, they rarely even find or catch the, the pimps or the people who are soliciting, you know. Yeah. And I, again, it's sort of like, it's sort of the rest of what we're talking about, right? Like I want to see a world in which you are the director and writing the roles and deciding how much nudity you want or don't want. And it's not because, as you said, we're prudes. I want to live in a world where if I want to get my tits out, I mean, even that language, right? It's like, I want, I want new language for it. And then if I want to be able to enjoy my own breasts mm -hmm. on camera, um, you know, I, I want that world, but we are not there at this moment. For me, it's more like, let's explore who has the power, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make these decisions that influence the topics in the movie. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. I think more people than not, hair sort of like stands on end as soon as we start talking about the sex industry. And I think people have uh, a lot of fear and a lot of shame around the sex industry. I would like to first delve into the empowering side of the sex industry and talk about the many people in your documentary who'd had like a positive experience. And there was even a woman who owns a brothel in Nevada, uh, in Vegas, where prostitution is legal. And it was like, it was incredible it looked like a kind of like haven for uh, I, I hate to interrupt you and say this she doesn't own it that's she doesn't the only own flaw it. that she right, doesn't right, right. and she was no. saying that there's only been one woman in the history oh of and brothels. she's not one of those and women she's not her so it's she's a man who owns but it oh right so she, but she runs it right 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 so he makes the majority of to... the right so he makes the majority still of the earnings rather than the right. actual women doing the work um within right. there but as, she with many businesses make, but she did make a million dollars she she is highly she's super smart really cares about the union side like yeah so i'll stop interrupting you in totally and she has no yeah. no no. that was great and uh and she you know she's even got like a sort of gynecology office within the actual brothel to be able to look after the sexual health of the women who were working there. I mean, it was, illum- I've never seen anything like that. And so that was I illuminating. Either. And and so can you talk to me more about the positive and empowering side of the sex industry? Well, here's what I want to say. Women are always behind the choices that are better for our health, better for our finances, right? Like what, as I talked to women, it was like, we're trying to make sure that we have, you know, some kind of union, or we're trying to make sure that we prioritize our health 
And, you know, just like with any other job issues that people go through, you have to deal with bosses and you're trying to fight for your best rights. And I loved getting to hear from people who are advocates, who are, you know, highly, um, I mean, these women, they're almost like politicians. I'm like, you're brilliant. And, you know, I want to make sure that people get to hear all the different ways that if you're in this industry, you are advocating for yourself. One of the first Mm -hmm. women I meet is an advocate and it was freeing for me to be reminded like, yeah, I want to be, live in a world where women who are in this industry are controlling their own narratives are, you know, she's a public speaker as well as the work that she does. And I was really inspired and am still friends with, you know, everybody I met who shared their experiences with me. And those women also said, you know, we want to make sure we're earning the maximum. People sometimes think that we're huge stars if we're in this porn or that porn, but somebody else actually is making all that money as a producer and we're not. Or, you know, we'd love to be able to take more time off. This is a hard job. So it was great to kind of hear that in some ways their concerns are very similar to anyone in it, right? Like, I I think even either it's SAG or one of the unions, you know, in entertainment, I believe we voted to either uh, include you know, folks who work in the sex industry Mm -hmm. under, and it it might've been limited to sort of like, you know, folks working in strip clubs or something like that. But I was like, yes, this is a start to like saying, if you are in this industry, you deserve, you know, probably more than the rights. Well, you're an entertainer. Yeah. You need the rights, you need the health protections, you need, right. OSHA, we need all of that for those Mm -hmm. who are in the industry. So that was huge for me was kind of getting into that, that conversation with people who live it and understand it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we yeah. saw like, we you know, we heard a lot of stories of people making like astonishing amounts of money on OnlyFans at the beginning of the pandemic, where they'd gone from having to work in strip clubs, where they felt like their safety was undermined. They had to spend more hours away from their kids and right. the, uh, they uh, were working for way less money and having to hand it over to the people who own the strip club, suddenly being able to take their clothes off on OnlyFans and making like, so, I mean, some people, this is obviously not the case for everyone. And it got less and less regard, uh, depending on how marginalized you are. Um, but a lot of Some that kind people, of cis, yeah. you know, slim, cis, young women were making like 17 grand in a week on new fans. And it, it, you know, until celebrities got involved and fucked the whole thing up, like it was uh, profitable and gave people like a lot of kind of emppowerment in that. It's like, right, well, I call the shots and this money goes straight into my bank account and I choose who and I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to necessarily leave my house. So that to me, I thought was like an important narrative in the sex industry of like, oh, this is how it could be when everyone is given agency and safety and autonomy, which not everyone has. And I think that entrepreneurial piece that you're talking about, I mean, he's a man, so that was tricky, but I end up talking to a man who, you know, sort of points to all of this and talks about the difference between, I mean, because let's be real, right? Women need access to all kinds of services that you usually can't get if you're working at Walmart or wherever. And if you can get that working through OnlyFans, or again, I know women who do seeking arrangements to pay their, you know, it, it, technology, there's so many things that have can enabled women. Can you break down women. for anyone who doesn't know what seeking arrangements means? Sorry, seeking arrangements is a um, sort of a, it's a platform that allows uh, women and femmes and, you know, um, gender expansive folks to offer the services that a buyer wants that minimal, well, my understanding is for the most part, you can, somebody can say, I just want a photo of your feet 
and you send them this photo of your feet. It allows you to make money, you know, with minimally invasive, you know, involvement in your life by some stranger or person you don't know. It's sort of a pairing, matching, you know, system service that lets people who want to make money this way make that money without, you know, again, endangering themselves, hopefully. Here's the tricky part, Jamila, and I'm still learning myself. So I didn't know the numbers on OnlyFans got as challenged as they did, right? As you said, celebrities, if you're Black China, right? If you're, uh, right. If you're adjacent to fame and all of that, it's a very different story than if like I, then some of the numbers I heard about monthly earnings for your average person, because as you said, it flattened out, the celebrity piece came in. And the truth is that while they made billions, I believe during the pandemic itself, Mm -hmm. the company, the actual breakdown and proportion of what the average person was making, as you said, unfortunately, if you are of a different race or ethnicity, if you are not what the buyer is buying, all of a sudden your wages don't look at all like the slim, you know, white or light skinned or whatever that, you know, younger, that preference thing. So as we're talking about this, it's so key to say the same kind of racism and body shaming and, you know, kind of limit, like the sort of marginalization that we know happens across the spectrum of the rest of society happens in this world as well and impacts how much money people can earn. And that's real too. Right. So I think the hard part for me was learning that there are all of these possibilities, just like in our larger society, like we want, we don't want to be me too'd, right? Like, and I mean, the adjacency, like, Harvey Weinstein was buying, was a sex buyer in terms of, yeah. um, right? So we're clear about that. And that, yeah, as you it's said, an exchange. There's a, it's a solicitation. It's an exchange. It's, an exchange. it's a transaction. I'll give you this role. I will get you this award if you. Right. It's a transaction. As I say, right. Yeah. And hi, there's a casting couch, right? Like we all know this term. This is not new. This is not a few bad apples. This is mm-hmm. a whole or- orchard that we've all been living with forever and ever. And, you know, it can look like marriage. I mean, I talked to a couple of women in the industry who were like, when you get a diamond ring, you're just getting a lump payment. (laughs) Don't Mm -hmm. look at me and slut shame me because I don't have to clean his dirty knickers. So I really learned a lot about how much, you know, those of us who we, we do it in this society all the time. We shame footballers, wives, or whatever it is. It's all on a continuum of women have this amount of worth and value. Men who obviously make more money um, have been the ones down through history who can afford to be the kind of demand for the mm-hmm. supply. And so how can we have a more progressive, feminist, new ways of doing, whether it's, you know, feminist porn or whether it's, you know, women being in control and owning their own collectives or brothels or all of that. That's what I'm interested in. And here's the hard part, Jamila. I didn't know how to unpack my own trauma Mm -hmm. to even read like the, the um, statistics around this, right? The average, the age, average age of an at risk girl. So Let's say you don't have the support that you need at home or you're living in poverty or you're living without, you know, kind of access to decent housing, education, um, jobs, that kind of thing. That makes you at risk, right? You're more likely to be trolled or policed or, you know, end up in the criminal justice system, all of that. 
the average age of being exposed to the sex industry for the first time is 12 or 13. Now, when I remember, I grew up in New York, walking down the street, tall like you. And, you know, people, men were catcalling me from the time I was 12 or 13. It was just a part of society. So for us to pretend that there's something shocking about, you know, young girls being exposed to this, we're just turning a blind eye. And then once they turn 18, we're like, oh, well, you know, you made that choice. And it's like, well, yes, she did. And also let's, uh, you know, unpack that a little bit. You know, did you not make the choice the night of your 18th birthday, like 24 hours earlier? You weren't capable of making choices, but once you go to bed and wake up, suddenly you're a full, you know what I mean? When the human brain doesn't fully develop until we're 28. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in what does choice look like? What does freedom and power and accessibility look like in a world where no workers, if you work for Amazon, good luck not having to pee in a bottle. Or an iPhone factory in China. Or an iPhone factory in China or, you know what I mean? So I think for me, it's sort of like, acknowledging that the people who want to attack with people in the sex industry and say, oh, you're, you know, you're just acting out of your trauma or blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. Everyone, the day you came out of your mother's womb or, you know, whatever, C-section was a traumatic day. Everyone goes through trauma and micro trauma that none of us are processing in this society from the time we're tiny. And so to pretend that there's something especially, you know, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I learned that if you want to understand better what's going on in the sex industry, take the macro, the kind of 30,000 foot drone view of capitalism, of racism, of sexism, transphobia, homophobia, ableism, and then you'll understand what is our work that's cut out for us as both allies and people who have lived experience themselves. That's what I hope people come away with. Also, it's a fun watch. That's what Busy Phillips said. I like that. That was her quote. I was like, I'll take it. It's a fun watch. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. Kings Island is now open weekends. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. There's a moment where you, and it's a really moving, and it was the sort of the most staggering, one of the most staggering moments in the documentary for me, where you talk to some indigenous people in the United States who break down for you how many of them get trafficked, kidnapped, harmed, murdered, go missing, um, all inextricably linked to the sex industry, right? So whether they even want to consent to it or not. And I think trafficking is a hugely important subject and it's important not to muddle the two too much um, because I think people who advocate for the sex industry very much so are obviously clearly against trafficking. Um, But 
they say in this that they don't think that the goal for them is to obliterate the sex industry altogether. Now, when I heard that, I totally saw where they were coming from. Again, not my fucking place, but I don't think the sex industry is ever going to go away. I don't think there's anything that can ever make that go away. And it's not just women who work within the sex industry. It's people who are non-binary, uh, plenty right. of men as well. And I think that there is a way for this to be uh, a service. Like I, I know escorts who do have, who do enjoy their work and do feel like they are fulfilling a need and creating a service and, and making people happy and, and, and filling a void in someone's life. I know there are people who are sex workers who work with people with disabilities who cannot access sex uh otherwise any other consider way their work to be like incredibly intimate incredibly important and life-saving and life-changing and so i don't see the sex industry at large going away um but i think where this i, I think the more realistic side of this uh this whole argument is the and I think this is where a lot of people get very confused. And I think it's where a lot of us make mistakes. I've definitely made that mistake in the past is uh, discerning between decriminalizing and legalizing. And I feel like that to me is one of the bigger subjects that can create the, at least the start of the gateway to especially women's liberation within the sex industry. So that if we choose to, to exist within it, we can at least, as you said earlier in this chat, not be fucking the only ones penalized and criminalized for it, where then it's harder to adopt if we want to, it's harder to get work. You yeah. can't vote. Apartment. Like all you of your rights, you can't get, get an apartment. Lease. Right. I have friends right. who are trans and black and living in New York who, uh, if they are a sex worker, mm -hmm. no one can, if they work in the sex industry rather, uh, no one can um, allow them to live with them. So they can't right. sign on someone's lease because technically that person who's allowing them to live with them can be prosecuted right. for being a pimp because they have uh, someone within the sex industry living with them who's technically soliciting maybe like on their phone from right. the premises. And so people are too afraid to allow someone from the sex industry to live with them. Like it is fucking No, it's, it's draconian. Fucked. It's so, draconian. So break yeah. down the difference between decriminalizing and legalizing. So here's the thing. There are there are stages of decriminalization. Mm -hmm. That's also, it, this could not be more complicated and fraught. And I, I want to say like part of what I'm doing now is going around with the film and speaking, you know, I, I, people are invited to participate so that we can have more of an unpacking because I don't claim to have the, right, like if right, you watch right. the film, you'll know, I say, talk, you know, listen for the expert voices mm -hmm. um, of which I am not claiming to be one. No, no, no. When I'm not I, asking from yeah. your perspective. I'm asking no, from no, what you yeah, learned in the documentary. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the tricky part. If women, my, my standpoint, like my personal uh, belief system is that wherever women are being penalized for this or criminalized for this, it is a sign of misogyny. It is a sign of, you know, the usual, everything we're seeing with, you know, Dobbs and Roe v. Wade. It's the same men using their laws and their power to penalize women for everything, you know, everything, <laughs> everything for breathing, uh, for existing. Um, and so I'm very clear about that. Then where it, so basically the idea is that no woman should ever be criminalized in any way for, yeah. you know, selling sex for, you know, whether she calls it survival sex or as she's a sex worker, self, you know, proclaimed 
um, or sort of self-identified, I should say, or whether she's an escort or whatever the name is and the title, no one should ever be criminalized for that. That is my belief, especially women and femmes. And the disproportionate number of people who do this work are women and femmes. Yes, there are men. It's just the proportion is so much smaller. I literally don't go into it in the doc. So all of this to say, then there's the kind of um, legalization that would allow pimps who aren't, who are keeping all the money and not, um, you know, sort of advocating for women and women's empowerment in this way mm-hmm. to keep the money, have more power. They're the bosses, right? So I like to frame this in terms of labor. I just want to see the workers themselves, the people who are in this world in the most possible control and getting to make self-determining choices as an industry about what they are keeping and what's going to, you know, uh, affect them in their work. If a pimp or a brothel owner, oh, it's men. It's, I, I don't know how to keep saying this, but if you, when you, for the most part, are in this industry, you're either being controlled by the men in the criminal justice system. And when I say the men, I mean, at the top, I'm not talking about, you know, it's television is so confusing. It makes you think that suddenly everyone's black and brown in, you know, like criminal justice and like every judge is like a nice brown woman. That's not what's actually going on here. You mostly have cis straight white men continuing to control the lives, the bodies and these, these economies through either their ownership or their ability to make laws that don't reflect what people actually want and need. So that is my concern is that if you have full uh, legalization. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say is like legalizing it then allows for the sex traffickers and for the pimps and for all of these different people to then be able to carry on at will and then face no investigation, no unionization and no prosecution if they are abusing the human rights and kidnapping girls off the street. Like we have the highest numbers of, I think, sex trafficking this Mm -hmm. year that we've ever had, like the numbers are on the high, on, on the rise every single year. And we are at like a kind of breaking point of girls going missing. I've had multiple friends almost kidnapped on holidays to like big yes. cities like Atlanta, yes. Vegas. Like I get yes. terrified when my friends are like out drinking in one of these kind of hotspot cities where there's a big yes. intersection of traffic. And the reason that these places are, is A, because they have the most tourists, there's the most people to be able to snatch, but also right. because you're less likely in the hustle and the bustle of an airport to notice- to everyone yeah you're but you're you're more likely to get lost and less likely to be noticed that you might be a young woman in trouble or drugged or unable to leave the person who has fucking kidnapped you so it's, and I, uh, can i just add as well like we just came off you, you know the world cup is such a great way to look at this um from a global perspective 100%. Uh, we have, I want to get honest about how much the misogyny, the, you know, kind of culture of male violence against women and other genders is at the core of this. It doesn't mean that everyone who watches porn or buys sex is violent. It means that we have to acknowledge that the, the core of the way things work now, while women are not empowered to, you know, kind of run things themselves is steeped in the same violence that we see, you know, it, at the Super Bowl in America or the World Cup. But also this speaking idea of, that- speaking of the World Cup, yeah. sorry to cut you yeah. off, but no, so the World Cup UN week 
and the Olympics yeah, you, are yeah. three of the biggest events of human sex trafficking of uh, mostly women, not only women, but mostly the mostly vast, women. vast majority, like 90% or something. Um, right. They are the three biggest sex trafficking events because it is the most concentration of men. In your documentary, In you explore the fact that even when a pipeline is being created, because all right. of the workers, the construction and laborers are um, men, almost entirely uh there's a height there's a heightening of sex trafficking and kidnapping and women going missing and violence against women and men's violence against women in those areas to fulfill the needs of these man camps as called so the world cup when i can't now literally can't watch the world cup now and i find it very hard to participate in un week uh and i can't deal with the olympics because now all i can think about is like oh my god how many girls are are trapped in hotel rooms like in the hotel i'm staying in during un week like how many girls are in these rooms against their will or being underpaid or like, or exploited. And that part of it fucks me up. And so we have to be very careful that we talk about decriminalizing those who are in the sex industry, whether it is, you know, against their will or, you know, at their will, but we cannot decriminalize it for anyone else. It needs reform. In my here's, my, here's what I would, yes, here's what I would say. We, just like with everything else, follow the money, follow the power, follow the people who get to make the laws, and you Mm -hmm. will understand all the other violence. And so that's why, to me, making sell-by-date was about a larger sort of intersectional conversation about social justice full stop. I'm talking about what's happening in Iran right now. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, what's happening with uh, women not having the right to choose in the U.S., all of these ways in which we are stripped of our right to our own bodies, to our own labor, to an economy where we have any kind of control and power, they're connected up. And, you know, as you said, places where men are gathering, we're not teaching generations of men and boys to respect women. We're teaching them that buying women is sometimes their only option. And I don't want a world in which the only way men think or hetero men think they can, you know, sort of be deserving of connection or have connection is by being in situations where in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they're dominating the most vulnerable people in their society. Because I mean, and I'm sorry to say it, I walked down a beach in Dominican Republic, you know, doing research for this project and was solicited by a million white guys, for, not quite a million, but white guys from Canada, from Germany, from Norway. And this is, you know, sex work. And just to be or, clear, say, it's legalized in Dominican Republic. It's legal in Dominican yeah. Republic. So these men, tra- they come there because they know that their wife at home, you know, these are so-called respectable white men. And it really breaks down the idea of like, and I, I remember being in Calcutta in Kolkata in the most, um, it's the largest open air brothel in the world. Um, um, oh my God, I'm I'm blanking on it now. There's a, there's an entire, um, cast. There's a group of girls and women who are just born into this. Sonagachi. And the idea is that this is a big marketplace where you're just available whether you chose it or not. So I'm trying to look at our globe. I mean, in the film, we stay within the United States, but I'm working on an anthology series, you know, like a, and how do we talk about this in a way that centers the women themselves while acknowledging that we live in a giant cauldron of inequality. And so as long as that cauldron of inequality is still bubbling at every level, Mm -hmm. we need to be more honest about how the sex industry impacts 
you know, as you said, yes, some men as well. And again, I think here's the, here's the thing that's so fascinating to me, love and connection. I'm not trying to get all woo woo. You mentioned about, you know, sort of the right to sex, right. And the right to like, if people have are part of the disability community, I want to make sure that it's not always men who always have the need and, you know, uh, have the means to procure the, kind of um, services that they need and never women. Whenever I looked at this stuff, whenever I looked across the board, it was like men's needs. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have needs. We all have them. But I wanted to look at how the supply and demand piece functions so that it's not always the same power dynamic in in play. And that was, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, there's more of a stigma and shame around women feeling like they can solicit, not they can solicit, they, they can uh, have an escort or they can have someone. There's so much there. They can pay someone and, for sex, yeah. Right, and there's it, women are far more likely to have earned so much less that it's not even a question for us, right? So I want us to look at a world in which we claim we want equality, we want equity, we want, you know, kind of um, access agency, for everyone, yeah. agency, um, choice making that's coming from a place of, I have all the options in the world and this is what I choose. And in a place like America where we have, you know, I mean, people don't, I, I barely, have, my healthcare is going to run out in like five minutes. Like, I, you know, and I have relative privilege, but I know as a black woman, I stood in a red light district window in Amsterdam and I looked just like the other Surinamese immigrant women who are fetch a lower price. Like I got to watch it in real time. I got to watch what, the ways uh, we devalue certain people and bodies on this planet, how does that impact this topic? And how do we make sure that without shaming, blaming, or harming anyone, we have a more honest conversation about it that also reminds us of these women's humanity. Like I had to keep telling people, they were like, oh, sounds so... And I'm like, this is not an episode of SVU where there's like a bunch of faceless women in the back of a van who, you know, are from some vague, unnamed Asian country. These are people. And so I am I also needed to remind myself, hopefully, by doing this film and directing it and making my life quite unmanageable um, for that time, the whole point was to make sure that at the end of the film, people feel like they met some friends, not, oh, a dirty whore. Like, you can't believe the language, like the stuff that people say. Lorraine, the character in the film, she was like, ladies of the evening. You know, you could see her face kind of, the shame and the ways that we stigmatize women and our sexuality is at the core of this as well. And so is, I think, men believing that they either should be able to buy or have to buy. I mean, I think of Trump and Stormy Daniels. You know, somebody who I, I, I would love to see a world in which healthy people get to have exchanges, want to exchange sex where they want to be from a healthy place. And from a healthy place in which they are also safe, because yes. an unbelievable amount of like attacks and murders can happen within the sex industry. If you are going to someone's apartment, if they're coming to yours, like women, yes. especially uh, killed in hotel rooms. Uh, we also see yes. this, you know, amongst um, cis uh, gay 
men, you know, we yes, hear of yes. these horror stories, but um, yeah. And I know that like a lot of the black trans uh, workers in the sex industry have told me that, you know, like they have experienced extreme violence and we have a, you know, let's like zoom out again and talk about yeah. the criminal justice system at large as to the fact that when you say that you have been assaulted, if you're lucky enough to survive, uh, the percentage of conviction is so low because they throw the book at you. They throw your, yes. you've had more than like two partners. If you have right. done, if you have, worn revealing clothes then these things can lessen the chance of you getting justice right and so imagine what it's like if you are someone who works within the sex industry imagine the chances of you a not being given justice because of the profession you work in as if to it's it's as ridiculous as saying that marital rape can't exist it's fucking bonkers that just because Which you until are, five yeah. minutes ago in this country exactly. right they were like oh it's a domestic issue we won't get exactly. involved exactly but also you run the risk of then if you go to someone and say i was attacked and this is the scenario in which i was attacked you get put in jail because right. you were doing something that is still criminalized across the vast majority of the United States. So it's a fucking, like, we have to find a way to make it safer for those who choose, who choose being the operative word to participate within this industry. And I think that's where you and I both come down on this. I mean, I've had, I've had an argument on this podcast uh, Mm. with Gloria Steinem about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this we both issue. Love, I saw you at a Gloria I love her so much. Christmas. I love her so much. Yeah. But, you know, we yeah. came down on different sides of this and mm-hmm. we're talking about the criminalizing issue and arguing about the criminalizing yeah. issue. And I'd recently yeah. spent a lot of time with black trans sex workers who were telling me that they didn't want to get into the sex industry, but they had to because they right. um, no they couldn't get a choice because they uh, their social security uh, name had a different, was their dead name. Their dead and name. So, yeah. so then they had to expose the fact that they were trans. That made it much harder for them to be employed yep. and to be paid yep. and so therefore this was the only way they could survive and then these. they're being criminalized and let's just can i add police are doing some of the most abusing when mm. if you if you call the police if you're trying to protect yourself they they know how you know disempowered you are in this scenario and they'll ask you for a blowjob where they're i mean so i don't mean to um over i don't want to make this too um negative fun. Right. What I'm trying to say is just like with everything else in our society, we need an overhaul. We need a full overhaul. And I'm here for it as an ally. I don't have lived experience in the sex industry myself, although I'm damn close. And I believe that anyone who's feminist could watch this film as at least a jumping off point. Most people don't talk about it at all. Or Mm -hmm. as you said, we, you know, even those of us, you are, you're very diligent and very well educated about all the things. And I think this is one area where many of us as feminists and as activists across the gender spectrum who care, we don't talk about it. We don't have, you know, kind of a way to talk about it without attacking each other, um, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So hopefully the film lets people open up a dialogue it might not be, you know, I'm a little, if Shira hadn't put me in the movie, I'm not going to lie to you. I might not be the first one to sign up for a, a, you know, a little after dinner sex industry movie. But you younger people, I know that you're ready for it. And we hope that you'll watch it because it can open up a dialogue. I did want to say this one thing, which is, you know, I didn't know Billie Holiday did, did survival sex. Really, the proper term for it is she was a, chi- a trafficked child because she was 15. But, you know, this this treasure of culture globally 
was in was involved in this, you know, you could say involuntarily because I mean, I would say as a child, you're not capable of consenting. And so even the term that some people will use child prostitution or whatever, it's actually we need to get clearer. Right. And like get honest about our Mm -hmm. values that if we understand uh, what this all is, it will help us stop putting it into silos and instead see it as a continuum. Woody Allen, half his films are about, you know, some relationship with some old white man, uh, either controlling or, you know, sort of transacting with some very young girl. I think we need to talk about how much this is more mainstream than any of us realize. It's, it's not as scary every, as- Yeah, it's permeated everything. every part of our culture. It's yeah. your Barbie doll. And so once you know that, don't look away have a conversation with your kid because I promise you they are they're they're watching porn at 10 and 11 mm-hmm. whether you think they are or not and so again it's not to shame them it's to invite a conversation about healthy sexuality con- connection yeah as long as this industry exists in the shadows and I think that's where we both stand on this right we're just like everyone yeah. needs more information everyone needs more rights Let's talk the people about who it. don't need more rights the ones who are exploiting certain people within this industry even the most empowered and like financial um, which is a tiny, tiny minority. Tiny, uh, but it's the, really the tiny. most like financially stable or like affluent uh, people who work within the sex industry. There's almost always a man who's making ten times more. Pretty much, you know, he's like off. He's like off to Switzerland, off of, off of her back, right? There's off of right. her back. So. So it's just very rare for there to be any kind of like stability and equality. And I think all you and I want is for people to not turn away because as long as this continues to to exist within the shadows, whether it's consensual or non-consensual, rights are able to be abused. And we can talk about factory workers, but we somehow cannot seem to have this conversation sanely and calmly. Right. And hopefully you and I have done a good enough job at just making sure that we we stick to the facts we stick to the statistics we stick to the information and we are on the side of any woman who participates within of any person but right now we're focusing on the most exploited group which is women specifically women of color specifically trans women of color within this industry like we want everyone to have the same yeah we want everyone to have the same rights we want everyone to have safety and we want everyone to not feel shame about whatever it is that they do to survive And I just want to add quickly, this is also about all of us. The slut shaming piece, I have had internalized slut shaming in my life without even realizing it in every language, puta, you know, putain, en français or whatever. It's all, the worst curse word is to call a woman a whore or to say whore, right? So how can we understand that this is all connected? Even our own self-liberation, we're only as free as the freest woman. Mm-hmm. So I, I hopefully, I see this as an opportunity to also you know, heal ourselves of whatever kind of, you know, misogynist, self-shaming, you'll hear women call each other hoes and what, you know, not from an, not from a place of love. Um, So I think that the whole, the larger conversation is about, can we start from a place of love, compassion, honesty, you know, digging into this from a place of the same feminism that it's I way, it's the same principles behind why you did this getting us out of shadows and talking about who we really are from a place of, you know, like valuing ourselves, all of us, valuing all of us. So let's say someone's listened to this and come at this from different angles. Uh, Maybe they're Mm -hmm. considering the sex industry more empowering than they had before they listened to it. Maybe they're considering it more disempowering or more dangerous. How does, how, what do we do next if we as uh, those in solidarity would like 
to be helpful. What are some steps you think that we could take in order to be as supportive as possible to this fight for equality? Yes. So since, as we're talking about this, right, we know that there are white women in my film who are, who are, um, talking about it from their perspective. There are trans women of color who are talking about it from their perspective. My usual approach is to follow the most marginalized group. That's who, right? If you start with the folks who are most, um, kind of vulnerable to the worst abuses and yeah. look at their scholarship, listen to their voices. I, you know, I love organizations like grant makers for girls of color. They know to like send, right. They're not saying only if you believe this about the you know sex industry or only if you believe that they're saying blanket, we are kind of the canary in the coal mine. Um, so I, I try to listen to the people who are, being led by, you know, um, folks with lived experience on multiple sides, but who all understand we need funding, we need legal, you know, kind of overhaul, we need um, to make sure that we are talking about actual facts, right? Statistics, right? Because otherwise, like you said, I was like, OnlyFans is amazing. I'm going to go on OnlyFans. And then I found the stats of like, ooh, $40 a month, if you, unless you're famous, that sounds terrible. So working from a fact-based approach, for me, looking at where are we um, supporting toxic masculinity and not realizing it in, in as much as it impacts this industry. So a group like A Call to Men, I find them very strong. They are a, they're cis straight black men who are talking about black trans women and, and, you know, kind of how to make sure that we center black trans women in any other narratives around um, all of this and who's empowered. So I go to them. I go to, um, as I said, Grantmakers for Girls of Color is interesting to me because they understand the economic piece so deeply. Um, mm -hmm. there's Girls for Gender, Girls for Gender Equity understands the kind of, um, across the gender spectrum, right? It's not this non-binary conversation. Um, so any place that people are talking about empowerment for gender expansive girls, gender expansive people of color, I start there and look at what are they asking for? They're, a lot of times they're saying stop criminalizing and stop arresting, you know, black trans women, et cetera. So they're on board with that. That's a clue for me that as soon as I see the absence of shaming and polarizing, that's where I go. I go in the direction of people who are trying to sort of, you know, be the, the tide that lifts the boats of everybody, regardless of what side they're on. As soon as I see people pitting you know, arguments against each other and you're, you know, my enemy, blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, that's just not feminist. I'm sorry. If you're not here for the majority of women who are the most vulnerable, then I'm not going to follow that path. So those are a few organizations that have been really helpful to me. And it would also like, you know, I, I, I would love to be a part of ending the black market. That is my ultimate thing when it comes to drugs and, you know, why all of it. Um, I would like so many things. We would like to, you know, decriminalize certain aspects of, of each of these industries is that yes. the black market is what leads to human trafficking, whether it's yes. for labor or sex, right? And so my biggest hope, like the people that I'm not concerned with are the ones who are making 17 grand on OnlyFans. I'm thinking about the people who are being trafficked into this. The reason that traffickers are partially able to get away with it is because they know that these girls and little boys have nowhere to go because right. technically what they are engaging with is illegal it's under and the radar so, it doesn't yeah exist. so it it's goes under like a the radar way. we have to find right. a way to like break the black market so that it is only by choice that you enter an industry any industry 
Totally. And here's what I would say to that. Just like more broadly, right? We want rights for nurses. We want rights for, you know, actors, directors. We want to make sure that people are not having to do survival jobs for survival. You know, so as long as we understand that this has to be folded into any conversation about labor, I would love to see more of our politicians Everybody who watches the film says, oh, I get it now. But they're afraid to talk sex industry because there is so much stigma. So I'm asking people to follow along. Tell your people, normalize this conversation. Mm -hmm. And watch the doc. Watch the doc. doc. It it was really unique in how much you don't fall on any of the sides of the conversation. You are on the side of human beings. That's my goal. I like uh-huh. the humans. I'm, tr- I'm trying to be here for the humans. And lastly, I will say this. I forgot to tell you this, Jamila. Because my name is Sarah Jones, uh, I think the only other name more common is Muhammad on earth. Um, pe- it's very hard for people to find me. So if they're looking to engage in this conversation and find the film, it's Yes, I'm Sarah Jones. I just wanted to say that before I forgot. No, I'm, um, glad, that, I'm glad that you did. And follow Sarah because she's hilarious and she's putting meaningful work out into the world. And you are such a decorated performer and creator. And I'm so happy to see all the work that you're doing and to see the success you're having. And, and may, may we just get more and more of you because you are really, like, really, really, really special. And thank you for coming here to talk to me today. Would you mind please telling me before you go, Sarah Jones, what do you weigh? I weigh my emotional health. I weigh my sense of humor about how emotionally unhealthy I sometimes am. I weigh my community who teaches me how much I don't know. I weigh my funny, tall, brown friends (laughs) with whom I identify and who help me um, continue to show up on this path. And I weigh my faith that even if an industry isn't ready to talk about this and I have to make the film independently without, you know, certain companies behind me, that the audience is ready for this kind of conversation and I'm I'm here for it. I'm going to keep doing it. I don't only have to do what my agent tells me. A hundred percent. And um, and thank you for putting this out there. I know that when the film even got announced that you were going to make it, there was a tremendous, like a pretty astonishing amount of backlash given that people, A, were fine with it when it was on Broadway and it did unbelievably well, which is how it even got proposed to be turned into something on the television. But also, um, B, people didn't know what it was going to be about or whose side or that you would include almost mostly, I would say. Most, it's either you or uh, actual people who work within the industry. Um, and that is very evocative of a problem that we keep seeing again and again and again, where the conversation gets stifled before it's even had. And and you almost weren't able to make this this film uh, because people had so many assumptions and because we were also trigger happy with cancellation and we're also protective and defensive, understandably, because especially understandably. Uh, uh, people who work in the sex industry have been under so much attack from all sides and from all genders. For so- for time and memoriam but like uh, but um, it's important that we are a little bit slower I think to to criticize until we've actually seen the work I understand everybody's kind of red red alert but but Mm -hmm. it would have been 
um, ship for a lot of people had a project like this or many other projects similar had not been made because we wouldn't have been able to have the conversation because it's only with information that we can actually see these things clearly and it doesn't have to be a war and it doesn't have to be polarizing this can always just be a conversation as long as the person who's at the heart of it is coming from a place of love and a knowledge of their own ignorance and a, a willingness and an openness and a curiosity to learn. So thank you for being that vessel for the rest of us. Thank you for introducing me to so many extraordinary advocates within the sex industry space uh, via this film. And and thank you for making it in spite of a huge backlash. Mm, thank you. Because I know for that being... was stressful and scary. I remember I remember it at the time. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, let's just say, I'm glad to be here now. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm glad I exists. And have you found that people have said, oh, this is very different to what I thought it was going to be? Have you yes, seen like a big relief? Everyone, everyone, the, the sigh of relief is like, it just blows through my hair. I just feel like I'm always, you know, getting somebody saying, oh, phew. And I want to say, but I told you. I also, I also just wanted to ask you before, before you go, that you have people on very different sides of this argument in your film. What have they said about the film, having seen another point of view exhibited very clearly, like on both sides? Like, has there been like pushback from them or have they been like, oh, I hadn't thought about that or I'm glad both sides are being represented? So one of the wildest things I experienced was when we had our premiere at South by people in the film all came together, many of whom are diametrically opposed on this issue and feel like, you know, the other side is in their way or is attacking them. And I got to watch some of these women who like hate each other on Twitter, like get together and have drinks, exchange phone numbers. I cried. I couldn't, I was like, oh, it was like my, the the Thanksgiving table that we started out talking about here. It was like, oh, you know, like, it's okay for the Dominican, you know, people to have their like, you know, it's okay if we have pan dulce over here and they can have their gefilte fish over there and we can actually all, you know, like get together and and not have to, um, we can come from the place of our commonality. And I know that sounds so corny, um, but yeah, I'll get her out of here and just say that I really do feel like everybody's got the same goal. Everybody is just saying, hey, please don't shit on me. <laughs> That's basically the goal. There's a terrible joke that I'm not going to reach for right now. It's okay. not everybody's. <laughs> but most okay, well, people are saying, please don't shit on me. It makes me. me really happy to hear that people got together and actually were able yeah. to hash it out in a human way. I think that the internet is a beautiful and brilliant communicative thing, but it also can create a huge breakdown in comms. And we just need to fucking have the conversations with each other face to face wherever we can. And now that things are opening up in the world better, we need to join in more of these spaces. And you have inspired me to get further into this uh, in my own attempt in solidarity. So thank you for keeping me in check. There's so many fights happening in the world right now. And yeah. this is one of the most important ones. And it really because is. the conversation never gets had, it's easy to forget about this conversation because we have shunned everyone into the shadows. And uh, you've put it right back where it's supposed to be, which is at the forefront of a lot of our minds. Because you're right, it is integrated in every part of our society. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you for using your platform, because if you don't do this, as I said, it's independent. It's out there on Amazon and Apple, but it's not being pumped into everyone's faces like an Avengers film. So <laughs> this is the sex industry Avengers and um, it's, it's, it's a, a different flavor, um, but it's hopefully something people will watch and you're making that happen. And I really appreciate it. 
Well, please come back anytime. There are a million other subjects that we should discuss, but thank you I'm for here. being here today. We can discuss jet blue socks and spin drift and many other things that I remember <laughs> we have in common. Lots Next of time. love. Lots of love to you. Mwah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. My name is Rafaela, and I weigh the amount of love and care I have for the people around me. I weigh my passion for wanting to help people with their mental health and their body image. Thanks so much. Love you guys. Bye. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.